0: Safe Talk with Safe Start. I'm your host, Danny Smith. A few weeks back, I saw a very thought-provoking infographic from the National Safety Council entitled, Eight Trends for the Future World of Work. And today we have with us John Doney, who is the Senior Director of Thought Leadership for the NSC. And he's here to talk a bit about this project and some of the concepts from it. Uh, John, uh, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Glad Glad to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: So, if you would just uh, tell us a bit about this project itself, and uh, maybe a bit of the history behind it, if you don't mind.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, it really all springs out of, as many things have this past year, out of out of COVID nineteen and our collective response to uh, to pandemic. Um, and and when we first started that work, we have we have a a program we call Safer, which stands for Safe Actions for Employee Return. Uh, and that was a bit of a pipe dream, um, you know, a year ago. And and now now we're actually a little bit closer to that being reality. Um, but, you know, we, we started that with the intent to help organizations with COVID-19 resources, get them things that they could react to and, and use in guidelines and, and tools and resources and such. Um, as we came at that, you know, it was obvious after the first few weeks that people needed less of the, you know, technical guidance and needed more of the how do we just deal with all this? There's, there's so much else sure. going on in the atmosphere beyond the direct physical and medical response to the virus. Um, so those cultural pieces, fatigue, stress, well-being, mental health, psychological safety, um, you know, these were big drivers even in the early days. Um, if you if you fast forward to, you know, we come out the other end of things in, in you know, uh, November, December, and our, our attention starts to turn to the vaccine, well, we've had a lot of time to reflect on how things have gone. Um, and, I, and I sat there in December, maybe December tenth, twelfth, thirteenth, something around there, and said, "You know, I've probably talked to hundreds, if not thousands, of folks over the past year about, you know, where things are going, where they're hoping things will go, how they've reacted in their organization, um, what's been accelerated, what's 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 slowed down, um, and that's what led me to kind of reflect on this. I took the aggregate of all these hundreds of conversations I've had." And I sort of combed them for trends and themes and, and we tried to understand what people were looking at. So the the, the way this came about was for us to really, we, we took a step out of the immediate term COVID response and said, well, once we're through that, what's the what's the future of work look like? I know a lot of folks are talking about the next normal or the new normal. Um, and we said, what's our perspective on that? What's the safety and health perspective on that? And that's really what bore out this this, this, this a trends infographic. Um, and it's conversant with what was going on as we saw it through COVID, but I think it's also reflective of things that were happening well before COVID that, you know, none of it's, none of it's something completely new. We saw a lot of these trends, even in, you know, as early back as five, 10 years ago. Um, so the, the interesting thing has been how COVID and our response to it has sort of changed our approach to some of those, how it's put a new lens on it, how, um, you know, how it's made them very real for organizations. You know, they, they've gone from being these concepts that people will say, great, but what are we going to do with that? How do we operationalize it? To realizing these are things that are right here in front of us, and we've actually been dealing with them, so so it's, it, we can we can really engage in them and understand them better.
0: Very good, you know, there, there are a couple of things that really caught my eye uh, in that infographic itself, uh, and one was uh, related to this idea of kind of the lean. Uh, distributed, and and kind of asynchronous work teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was one, but kind of related to that was also a a bit of the, uh, I guess you could call it the changing of the guard, where we're seeing more and more millennials now starting to enter into more senior roles in the organizations. And to me, this just sounds like we're going to be seeing Maybe some changes to the approaches of how we deal with uh, projects, deal with business in general and things of that nature, more team and task approaches versus uh, well, put in the eight to five, put in your time each day kind of approach. So how do you see the changes in team structures and uh, maybe these generational shifts starting to affect the world of, of, of the future world of work?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really insightful uh, connection there. I, I do think there's a connection between the kind of just the broad trend toward lean and, and asynchronous work teams that we've seen accelerated on the back of COVID and the working style of millennial and and, uh, and Gen Z um, individuals. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that folks have had to come to terms with that working style, whether it's their preferred working style or not. That's kind of been our reality over the past past year. Um, especially in the early days, and I just got, you know described. I think I think in the first few months, the pandemic organizations were in, you know complete scramble mode, reactive mode, and we all got really used to. Well, I'm going to be talking to someone at 7 p.m. my time because it's 6 a.m. in India, and I need to you know we need to get this done. This is we we don't have a minute to spare. Um, so people got used to working you know a little bit with that, and might not it might have pushed them out of their comfort zone, um, or they might find themselves in a situation where. You know, they've got an adult parent or a grandparent, or maybe a young child. They need to do caregiving type activity. They can't, um, you know, can't. Uh, schools aren't reopened yet, so they can't, you know, can't do much about that. Or their, you know, their parents might need to come come down and live with them for a bit. Um, ma- many varieties of reasons why that began to then bleed into our work-life balance sort of approach. Um, and and one thing we've heard a lot, and I think holds true, and it's been studied pretty well, is that millennials and and Gen Z um, folks tend to have much more of a focus on work-life balance when they're choosing employer, when they're deciding whether they're going to stay somewhere for work or how they're going to approach it. So I think that what we were all forced to come to terms with was, you know, how we can do our work effectively whenever we can do it, and how we can best do it. And then how we can leverage technology and and what that means for our satisfaction with our with our job, with our employment, and and how we stay safety, safe and healthy. Um, so in a way, we've all sort of become millennial in work style, perhaps, over the past year. So I, I think that the, the question that, that remains is you know, how much of this is retained as we go forward? Um, we've heard a lot of conversation about folks. Folks are struggling right now with not wanting to interrupt the work-life balance we've had uh, or built for ourselves, but wanting to bring people back into a culture that feels you know, unique to its organization, drive the kind of innovation and collaboration they get from an in-office experience or in-work experience. Um, and there's going to be some inherent conflict, um, there in terms of, you know, how we go back to that or how we operationalize that. And, and it's, I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out as to whether that's going to be easier for millennials and gen the you know, young folks in the Gen Z generation coming into the workforce or whether that's going to be harder and whether the folks who are a little older are going to enjoy that kind coming back uh, situation or whether they've really become really used to this. Um, I, I uh, we spent a lot of time as safety and health professionals in what feels like a past life talking about, you know, the power of habit and, and how you reinforce behavior for a certain period of time and it becomes instinctual. Um, and I think the uh, the Charles Duhigg book, you know, suggested that it takes something like 30 to 90 days to form a habit. Well, we've had, a, we've had over a year of it now. So it's <laughs> going to be pretty tough to break in a lot of cases. So True. I don't have a perfect answer for you, but I think those two things are really intimately Related, and I'm. I think that the next year is going to be a big shakeout for every organization in terms of understanding what's working, and we're going to have to be flexible. I mean, we were we we've, we've gotten really good at pivoting um, over the over the past year, so I think we're going to need to keep on our toes uh, as it comes to the year ahead.
0: That that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, it's interesting you're talking about uh, the power of habit and how how our habits form, and uh, I had a conversation with uh, one of our coworkers at the at the office just. Uh, uh, yesterday or today, I believe it was, and as I was talking to them, uh, one of the things that we discussed was uh, going back and revisiting some of your habits and making sure that you hadn't let those slip, because we right. built something to habit strength, right. and it's very easy then to, to let it start slipping away over time, and I'm sure all of us have probably had some of those things that have happened uh, over the past year, and we've replaced uh, replaced those habits with new habits, so may have to go back and rethink a bit of that for sure, right?
1: That's right. And it's, it's interesting from both a personal kind of cultural perspective and certainly from a safety and health perspective. So, you know, it's easy to relate to the fact that, you know, hey, I used to travel for work a lot. I used to have a gym, four floors below me at any given time. It was really easy for me to build the habit of going to the gym. Right. That has not been the case for the past year. Um, <laughs> so, but, but by the same token, you know, we've got folks who have not been in their traditional work environment. Um, And, and that will one, you know, desensitize you a little bit to the, to, you know, your your normal working style and the hazards and risks that you face. Um, But maybe it'll also make you a little bit more attuned to it. So I, you know, you know, I think we all probably have that remembrance of safety and health professionals. First day you get on the job and you're in a big complex facility somewhere, you go out to do an assessment somewhere, an audit. And it feels like the most dangerous place you've ever been. You're just like, how, how are how are people able to just rationalize with working around all this hot stuff and the steam and these big right. presses or whatever else? And you're really attuned to the risk. Um, you get to sensitize that over time, and we know that's just natural, that's human nature. So it's so there's gonna be some downside of going back into the work environment and rem, you know, kind of remembering how hazardous maybe our environment was if we work in a sure. facility we haven't worked in before. But maybe hopefully we'll be we'll be having that day one experience. For better or for worse, again, and be able to be more finely attuned about those hazards in the situation. So, I'm hoping there's a little bit of a silver lining there.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that uh, I, I kind of going back a little bit to the the multiple generations that we have in the workplace right now, uh, one of the things that I hear a lot when I'm talking, not, not only just to safety uh, professionals, uh, but also to operations management folks. Uh, it, it's just this concern that's out there about, uh, I guess a lot of people call it the brain drain. You know, we've got a lot of the baby boomers who are starting to retire. Uh, heck, even some of the older gener- Generation X folks, uh, uh, the, my generation, uh, I'm running on the cusp of those two. Uh, some of the older gener- Gen X folks are starting to retire now. And there's just a, a large loss of... Uh, of experience, particularly I think among the trades, uh, because there was a generation where it seems we didn't have a lot of emphasis on people entering the trades. Uh, so you know that loss of experience is really going to be tough, and it's something that really can't be recovered. So uh, just curious as to uh, whether this project captured any information about how we kind of I don't know, I guess capture the information, capture the experience. Uh, how do we how do we learn from that older generation before they do go out the door permanently? Uh, I've heard some folks talk about things like cross-generational mentoring as something they're pursuing or something like that. Just curious as to, to what your study found with that.
1: Yeah, we've we've definitely seen a little bit about that. That wasn't a, a core aspect of the study, but at the same time, it's a topic that's come up a lot. Even, you know, if I go back five years, we were certainly already worried about it then. And this right. has made us even more worried about it. Um, you know, we're, in the trades is a great is, is a great example of a place where there's there's certainly a bigger potential gap than others. Um, but, you know, every time you see someone who has had the experience of understanding what it took to get to the level of safety and health maturity that they are as an organization or as a, as a person, um, and, and you leave someone in those shoes who has not had that lived experience, um, that you're, you're going to be scared by that. I mean, I, I think for better or for worse, you know, the younger generations are coming into organizations that matured on the back of some really bad things taking place and, and thankfully they don't have to experience those things to you know to continue to stay safe and healthy um but by the same token they haven't had the experience of something like that happening and so um you know i no one should have to learn that way but it's also a way that people that gets people religion really quickly so you worry about not just the individual talent gap but then the organizational or institutional memory behind you know how long has it been since our last serious incident and and you know we're not really even ready to reckon with it um and it will just reshape the whole culture of our organization really profoundly. So, uh, you know, I I think that um, cross-generational mentoring certainly something we've seen. We've seen some effort, especially in bigger organizations as folks retire out to do a almost a a last project capturing the knowledge that they have or their unique perspective or the things they've brought to the organization as a legacy component, but also as a very real thing that can be transferred on to folks um, downstream. And I think one of the things that we've seen uniquely in the way we've been utilizing technology, even just in COVID, is um, it was really tough to get, um, you know, a senior EHS leader or an operations leader to come back into a facility to come teach a master class to a group or something like that, um, you know, after they'd left the organization. But nowadays, we might be more open to be able to do that through things like just as simple as Zoom, right? Or sure. as we get into AR and VR, you know, doing some things where we were able to leverage that unique technology. That may be years out yet, but being able to do some more of that real-time knowledge transfer in a way that is, isn't cost prohibitive, um, is actually effective. It's not just someone listening to a video of someone, you know, explaining how they did something. It's real hands-on sort of training and, 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 uh, is, is much more effective. So, um, you know, I, we didn't study it as directly, but it has been on our radar for quite some time and it's an area where we're definitely going to dig into in the future. So.
0: Excellent. Um, another thing that I noticed, uh, in, in this infographic that came from the study was, uh, It mentioned that there were new skills and new modes of leadership that are going to need to be addressed for tomorrow's worker. I guess that feeds a bit into the generational aspect as well, for sure. Uh, What do you think this the new leader, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, really looks like?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And this is something that on our Campbell Institute side of the house, we're actually studying quite directly. We have a work group uh, of some of our member companies who are actually studying this um, issue and understanding what it looks like in their organization. I, so I'll have more to share in the, in the days and months to come. But I, I would say that um, you're right that it crosses over with the generational aspect. It also, I think, has crossed over with the the uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion aspect. Um, you know, we certainly all gotten an object lesson in that over the past uh, 12 months as well. Um, But understanding that um, just the sense of transparency that we've built in in our organizations, or the more we're talking about things we didn't talk about, that's reflected in in the needs of a leader as well. So it it seems to me that particularly in this current environment we're in, and in the very near future, um, leaders are going to need to be not only much more agile and technology conversant, but they're going to be have to be more willing to be open and honest and transparent with their teams. And that's really uncomfortable for some leaders. But we've built this expectation now through our the ways we've been dealing with social justice issues, the way we've been very transparent with COVID-19 response. You know, folks, mm-hmm. folks get updates about their COVID policies, you know, more often than any other policy update that have ever seen from a company ever before, right? So right. the level of communication and transparency has just changed. And, and so leaders are going to need to really capture that. And we, we know that with um, millennials and, and Gen Z, in terms of things that have been studied, you know, there are two or three year increments in which if they're not satisfied, well communicated with, know where they're going, know where their, their path is, uh, they're going to leave your organization. So leaders are going to be responsible for all this at once. Uh, it's not, not one of those situations where you can just set it and forget it um, and, and just kind of, kind of go off on your way. So I, and I've seen various folks that I thought would have never blossomed in this environment do so really well. And folks that I thought were ready for it, conversely, you know, have, have a real struggle with it. So I would say as much as it's intertwined with the demographic issue, you, you will see folks who are in the boomer generation who come, you know, get, get on this boat like, a, you know, it's like a duck to water. And I've seen folks who are, who are millennials who struggle with it just as much as you'd expect. You know, someone who was a, a 75 year old you know crusty leader somewhere would would struggle with something like this so I think it's it's there's a personality type aspect to it there's also just that willingness and openness to change and that's that's not generation dependent so um, it's been really interesting to, to follow
0: that's really great I, I like where you put that that a lot of that uh, comes back to personality you think it's fair to say as well that it may just come back to uh, uh, you know we're all resistant to change in one form or fashion, but maybe just that willingness and to to adapt and, and to accept change and move forward with the the new realities of some of these too, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, we've seen even you know in our own organization, you know immediately who who even a year out now has still still really has not uh, come to terms with the changes we've had, mm-hmm. and and the conversations that that come up are really all about returning to the exact way things were, and and well, I think over the long arc. Some of those things will happen. I mean, we were talking before we started the recording here about you know longing to get out to events again and, and talk in Absolutely. person and go sit oh, yeah. in convention centers. Um, you know, so I do think that's that's coming back. But I do think where I've seen you know people be effective is they acknowledge reality, they're, they're willing to change, they they get on board with it. It's not easy for them to do the things they have to do, but they know there's no other way but but forward. So that's certainly been been the case, and just in the safety and health field in general. I mean, management of change, openness to change. That's a core skill set, right? It's something, something we need, to, we need to, to build the muscle on.
0: Very good. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm also very interested in the ideas uh, that this, uh, I think we've seen this certainly over the past year, uh, that safety and health really is, is at the core of what uh, each organization does. And I think that's kind of a value that, that we're starting to see more and more. Uh, and at SafeStart, we we often talk about safety being more than just a goal or a priority. Uh, it really has to be uh, an organizational value, uh, and, and to that, uh, we, we really have to look at the idea of you know safety twenty four seven, and start thinking about things like. Uh, mental health and, and well-being uh, or as you, you were talking earlier about that life well uh, life work balance that must uh, be honest some of us who are a little older have somewhat struggled with not that it's you know totally our generational issue for sure uh, but you know an, another way I think the study described it just valuing the whole person is another piece that we have to look at as well uh, so what are some trends that you expect to see uh, just related to those concepts
1: yeah, I think, um, I, I think, well, one, I'm, I'm a walking example of a millennial who's struggling with work-life balance, so it's <laughs> definitely not generational. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, um, so I, I think that the, the trend behind things like total worker health, the whole, the whole person have been, been in existence for a while. We've been talking about those for the better part of a decade. Uh, and in some parts of the world, like Europe and the UK and Canada and Australia, there's been a very advanced conversation about things like mental health and stress and fatigue, um, particularly in high risk occupations like firefighting. Um, so there's there's a body of work out there that that can help us understand this. Um, but I, I think that we're at a really unique point in the safety game here where we've shown up and proven our value in a huge way over the past year. You know, we are we are in the spotlight. We've been leading these efforts in our organization. We've been talking to folks that you know, maybe wouldn't have given us the time, to, time of day before, right? Where all of a sudden, you know, within the span of a week, every operations leader, HR, you know, everyone in the organization was looking for safety to, to lead and help us see our way through this. So I think that we have the opportunity to use that to transform organizations and drive that mentality that you were describing, that 24-7 safety mindset, the the things that we've wanted to achieve and we've known and understood the value of you know we've obviously long understood the value of safety and tried to express it to folks in many different ways sometimes successful sometimes not we have the opportunity where we, we just made that case we read that that's been very evident so what can we do with it and what i would suggest is because at the same time everyone's gotten to understand the very real implications of things like mental health and stress and well-being right that's going to, we're going to get pulled in that direction. And I think the question we need to figure out is what is the safety professional's role, safety and health professional's role in, in those subject areas? Where do we partner with HR? Where do we partner with, you know, our risk folks on some of those issues? Um, are we going to own them or are we going to influence them or somewhere in between? So I I think that's going to be a little bit of an interesting struggle. I was on a panel a couple months ago where we got asked the question, you know, should mental health be in the, be under the umbrella of safety and health. And, uh, every panelist had very different answers on that question. I, I, I think yeah. I think some don't want to touch it because it's so complex and hard to deal with. And I get it. Um, you know, there's no there's no uh, defined, you know, load bearing limit on somebody's brain, right? We don't, we don't have that same technical discipline we can bring to things like that necessarily. So right. um, it, it's a tough one, but I, I think we're going to get pulled in that direction. I think it's a good direction to go. Um, and at the same time, we can also bring along whatever we know our organizations need to transform. And that might be serious and drink fatality prevention. It might be HOP, might be any of these other topics that we know we've been trying to build a case for. Well, now we have, we're in the limelight. So let's, let's make hay while the sun shines on it. And let's, let's use our stock where we have it to to build these things into our organizations and help them become resilient for the future.
0: Sure. You know, we talk a lot about uh, uh, what we call our human factors framework, or one of the components of that. We talk about the, kind of the individual learning loop and some of the some of the human factors that affect all of us and you know we always talk about uh and, and for years it's always been the uh and maybe this is a bit of the kind of the cowboy mentality that we've all been guilty of in the past you know we'll leave your work at, at work and leave your home life at home and near the two shall shall meet kind of mentality and uh you know even subconsciously that it's just not possible i mean uh uh, for example, and some of our listeners know a bit about this already, uh, just from some other things that we've talked about. I was uh, sitting here at my desk back uh, prior to Christmas, and I uh, was on the on the well, I'm not on the phone on the. I guess I'm showing my age there. I was on a on a Zoom call with our CEO Barb Tate, uh, and I was talking with her. And my wife came in and handed me a note that said uh, simply, "Macy COVID positive," and Macy is my my granddaughter who at the time was. Uh, Uh, about 13 months old Uh, and so you know I, I talk a lot about how that impacted me not only during that call and obviously I was able to talk with Barbara about that and just share you know hey here's what's going on and she expressed her concern and whatever she needed to do she would do to help but certainly that affected me and affected my focus for the rest of that meeting Uh, It affected my focus, quite honestly, for the next couple of weeks. And by the way, for everybody, she's fine. She's growing like a weed and talking and Mm -hmm. harassing her little brother or her older brother quite a bit. So anyway, uh, but anyway, it it was one of those. It took me back a few seconds there. Right. And it took me uh, uh, took me a week or so just to kind of get over that as I was continually thinking about that. It was in the back of my mind. Right. So certainly that stress uh just that concern even if you just want to boil it down to a concern level uh that has an impact on folks and how they're working and ultimately on their safety you know if i were working out on a factory floor uh it could lead to some inattention some distraction you name it right even though we have traditionally as i said always focused on well just focus on your work and leave all that behind you just doesn't happen does it
1: yeah, for sure, and I think that um, building the culture where it becomes okay to talk about that is Absolutely. is up, right? I mean that that takes time. It takes it takes attention. It takes you. You need to do it every single day. And I I, I do think the experience we've all lived through like that uh, over the past year hopefully has opened us up a bit to that when we get back into a traditional working environment. Mm-hmm. I certainly knew some organizations who have a really good culture already of they're at a daily toolbox talk and they just say, Hey, what's on your mind today? Is anything going on? You know, just check in with us. Are you, are you, are you good to go? Or is there something distracting you? Um, and maybe it's, you know, you you got bad news last night or you didn't sleep well, or your dog's sick or whatever else it may be. Um, but it became okay just by repetition of making sure you asked and eventually someone maybe said something. And as soon as someone said something that allowed the next person to say something, um, Going through that hard work when we get back into the traditional work environment is something we're going to have to do. But I, I do hope that you know, I've become much more transparent with my team and, and my supervisors and my peers at my organization, even in my personal life. I mean, I, I talked with my friends who I've known for 30 years about things that I would have never uh, broach with them in the past, right? Just sure. very real fears, concerns, things you, things you just, you know, you you just learn to bottle up and keep inside. So, I, I hope that as as much as I think that um, we've we've seen a lot of negative out of all all of this the past year, being able to roll that into how we build it in our organizations will be a real be a benefit for us.
0: Well, John, thanks so much for your time today. That uh, That is kind of the the, the the wrap for today, I suppose you could say. Uh, folks, if you would like more information about the uh, the infographic that we've been talking about and the study behind that, uh, you can do just a quick search for National Safety Council, eight trends for future world, for the future world of work. Say that right? Uh, and you should be able to find that fairly quickly uh, with just a quick internet search. Uh, my thanks today uh, to John Doney, who has been our, our guest today. John, if I listen would like to get in touch with you directly. Uh, what's the best way to do that?
1: Sure, absolutely. You can email me directly. Uh, happy to get, get engaged and talk to y'all. Uh, my email is john, J O H N dot D O N Y, at nsc.org. Uh, and, and you can go ahead and shoot me a note uh, and I'll, I'll be glad to respond. And then uh, if you want to look at any of the other resources we put out through the SAFER uh, group, slash safer. It's nice and easy.
0: Very good. And and, and as always, folks, uh, if you have an idea for uh, another podcast or someone else that you would like for us to talk to or a topic you'd like for us to to cover here on the podcast, uh, just drop me an email at danny at safestart.com. And John, thanks again for joining us today. And uh, thanks for our audience for joining us as well. Uh, I'm Danny Smith for Safe Talk with Safe Start.